0: Sully will make sure you get on the plane. And Riches will stay with you. Make sure you get off. I don't hear from either one of them.
1: She's dead. How much did they pay you, Bennett?
0: They offered me a hundred grand. Do you want to know something? When I found out I'd get my hands on you, I said I'd do it for nothing. Hey, holy! I'll be back, Bennett. John! I'll be ready, John. That was John Matrix, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, betrayed and blackmailed by the villainous mustachio Bennett, played by Vernon Wells, in 1985's Action Cheese Fest, Commando. This week, two more men,
1: one with a moustache, clash egos and face-off as we review Netflix actioner
0: The Grey Man. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films, and films are better than people. I'm Lawrence. And I'm Sam.
1: Bennett, stop screwing around and let the girl go. It's me that you want. <laughs> I've only one arm. You can beat me. Come on, Bennett. Oh, we'll with that chicken shit gun. I just want to pull a trigger. Put a knife in me. look me in the eye. And see what's going on in there with you.
0: Party. So this week we reviewed The Grey Man which is out on Netflix and in some cinemas right now and Sam's going to tell you the plot. Six works as a grey man for the
1: CIA, an assassin who isn't technically part of the organisation but does all their dirty business. After Six uncovers corruption at the top of the CIA in his latest job, his old employees hire Lloyd Hansen, a sociopathic private contractor who
0: will go to any measure to take him down. Or, as a haiku, secret assassin, jet sets to fight Double Cross. Boom, boom, big kaboom. Sounds
1: like the plot for uh, the latest James Bond film.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, I guess. Or any Michael Bay film. Or any Michael my, Bay film, Might yeah. be explosions at the end there. Yeah,
1: Michael Bay's more appropriate. But yeah, it feels like we're, we're coming home in a way, talking
0: about an action film again. Yeah, back on that, back on that old horse. My uh, favourite subject, the action genre. I felt like the haiku needed a bit of bombasticism to represent all the various levels of bombasticism that happens in this film, and I wanted to communicate that. Because actually, it's the, the, the plot's fairly simple. It's, it's something that you're going to come across very often. In order to make the haiku plot recognisable with the plot, you need something that people are going to go, oh yeah, that's what's in that film. And I felt like all the explosions really represented it.
1: Plus, it was only a matter of time before one of your haikus ended in Kaboom. <laughs> it certainly was. Well, to hear more kabooms, here's a clip from what we reviewing again <laughs> <laughs> the gray man Lloyd They got an urgent locate and destroy that could be fun the man's got some street cred. you hurt
0: I mean my ego's a little bruised they have something they really want what's your gut it's going to be my funeral you're going to next. You want to make an omelet? You got to kill some people. You must be Lloyd. What gave it away? The trash dash. It just, it leans Lloyd. Easy. Right, so yeah, this is the latest Netflix original, one of their biggest releases of this year. And it's actually a Netflix original. They didn't just buy it off someone and then slap Netflix original on there. They actually did put their own money into it, are whopping $200 million, which is the most expensive Netflix film ever made, according to some sources. That's what seems to be getting it almost the most attention.
1: Yeah, it's... and it has got a lot of attention, right? It was highly anticipated. Um, I remember when it was announced, um, it's one of these films that once you hear the cast with Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, you're like, oh, well, these are sort of three genuine A-listers directed by the Russo
0: brothers who were most successful with the Marvel films. And also they made Cherry, which we reviewed in an earlier episode as well. Yeah. We're we're one of the few people to actually notice that that film happened and existed. (laughs) Um, I was going to say, there is no way that film got as much
1: uh, profile as The Grey Man did.
0: No, it didn't. Um, So, what did you reckon to this one? We we have previously reviewed uh, Extraction, which was a Netflix action release which we gave the thumbs up. Uh, and we also, although we didn't review it strictly, there was also that Red Notice film with The Rock and Ryan Reynolds, which gave the big thumbs <laughs> down. So, where does it fit on that scale? Um, well, you're not saying a particularly high bar. <laughs> no, um, not really. I guess extra- Weirdly, Red Notice, The Grey Man, they've got colours in them, and they're both the like, one of some of the biggest budget Netflix films. Do you think that's a link? Or am Uh, I just seeing, like, a conspiracy theory?
1: No, I think you've been spending too much time on Twitter. Yeah, maybe uh, I have. Yeah, I I think it's it's definitely better than I would notice. That's not hard to do. Not quite as as good as Extraction for me. Um, And we'll probably go into those reasons. But, yeah, I was fairly disappointed with it. I think it's fairly run-of-the-mill, considering the talent that they've managed to attract to it. And, yeah, considering the... Uh, the films that the Russo brothers have been involved in... in terms of the amount of money they've made... in terms of how expensive they were... you would think they would be sort of solid veterans... Uh, yeah. in making a film of this size uh, with this sort of spectacle... but actually I think it's a massive letdown... and I don't think it's a film I'll even remember in a few weeks... or even think about in terms of the action genre... and yeah that's strange because as you talked about... it was, they were pretty much given carte blanche to make what they wanted... And they came up with this uh, with this script. I, I think it was only one of the Russo brothers who wrote it with um, a couple of other writers. Yeah, I, I was just thoroughly disappointed. I just didn't think it was particularly imaginative. Uh, I think there were a few funny one-liners. But a lot of the action scenes just didn't work for me. And when you spent that amount of money on it, to, you know the best thing to come out of it was a few one liners is is dreadful
0: really yeah i would love to fight you on this because i'm a, as i've mentioned many times on this podcast before big fan of the action genre and but, you've watched a lot of action films and i've watched a lot so you of action films would love to films. fight in general <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly especially for the action genre or in the name of that that would be quite meta if i was physically fighting for an action film I don't know I don't think that would really work but no I was I was pretty disappointed with this as well uh it is amazing to me that they threw 200 million at this and I don't know where all the money went which was actually similar to, to what I felt about Red Notice but not quite to the same extreme uh all those explosions you, you 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 and 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 all the massive massive sequences that they they put together you you'd think it would make more of an impact but it just doesn't and as much fun as I did have watching this I think I did probably enjoy it a little bit more than you I, I was entertained and I'm probably going to use that word a lot throughout this review entertained I could never shake the feeling that this was just a massive missed opportunity everything in it is good but just not really really good like it'll definitely entertain you just not stay with you and just where did the money go I, 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 don't, I don't know but it could have been on the actors, right? I mean, I think that's a good place to start. and That's logical, actually. Yeah, there's, there's lots of actors in this that I like. Like Ryan Gosling, he's a very watchable actor. He's kind of doing his emotionless bit in this, but it really fits and it works. He's got a very dry way of delivering one-liners and it's, and it's funny, it works. He's mastered the art of the droll. Exactly. But it also kind of fits with his characters because they establish both through the action and the plain old exposition, that he can remain very calm and logical in difficult and painful situations. And that's what gives him his edge. That's what gives Six his edge in being this like super spy, this super assassin. Uh, that's a good way to characterise an action hero as well, I think. Uh, but there's, yeah, there's, there's always this, this problem. They, they, they've got this childhood trauma with his dad, and it works to establish his origin, but then they really shoehorn it in there later to like the final action scene as if he's kind of overcoming something but they don't really establish that in the rest of the film as far as I'm aware like he, he was traumatized by his dad but he, he's kind of gotten over it and there's not really a reference to him still kind of struggling with anything with it or that he has a problem with it. But, I mean, I, to be honest, I think I'm going to maybe get into that later with the plot as well, because there's a lot of that. There's a lot of kind of, like, half-thoughts and stuff kind of shoehorned in that don't really feel like they work, or don't really feel like they belong there. feel a bit false.
1: Well, I'll I'll stop you right there. This might sound crazy. Yeah. <laughs> this will sound absolutely crazy. But maybe... The story's been built around the action scenes, and actually, a lot of the dialogue and the story isn't very good. I mean, we're not going to do it, but we could nitpick all the bad plot points in here and how there is stuff that doesn't make any sense. But we mm. won't get into that because, yeah, I, I think that kind of takes away from the real criticism that we we could do on it. But they're all just so incoherent because they're all in different locations. So I think like ones in Bangkok, ones in an airplane, ones in Vienna. One's in Prague. They kind of differ from sort of hand-to-hand combat to you know action sequences with vehicles and and in buildings and and stuff like that. But yeah, you 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 kind of come away from it and you just think, what. I never really learned anything about the characters from that action. I never thought, oh, that's a really well-choreographed bit. No,
0: uh, I I, I, t- I, kind of tend to agree.
1: Yeah, I've I just seen filmmakers talk about how, within good action sequences, you know where each character is at all times. I know that is kind of hard to do, where there's a scene with dozens of actors, but you, you know, sort of have a general sense of awareness... And this never happens in any action scene in the film, even when it's just with two characters. Like, oh, there's like an edit, and you're like, okay, where's he come from? What's he doing? Some action sequences can be good like that, in the sense that they are chaotic, and you, you, you know, you lose your sense of perception or whatever. But in this, it's just like, oh well, all these characters coming out of nowhere, and, and you know, all these sort of flashy camera movements it just doesn't work it just all sort of blends into nothing
0: i don't necessarily agree that they they're not good action sequences i think there are some good moments in them but they're just really inconsistent like the rest of the film it's just a, a bunch of missed opportunities right like an example of what you're talking about and i think what i'm talking about is like there's an early scene in a plane, right? Which is some very slick and visually interesting choreography with, like, a coloured smoke grenade that Six is, is using as a weapon and also as, like, a distraction. And it also establishes that Six is a really good improviser, like, someone that keeps a cool head in a in insane situations. And again, that's what gives him the edge. That's what makes him the super spy. So it's good in the way it begins. And then, unfortunately, it just, it just becomes really hard to follow. And you, you can't tell what, what what is going on or like who's ro- or who's rolling around as the plane sort of becomes more and more damaged, and then it just ends really abruptly. You're you just don't not... even find out what happens. No, you, you, yeah, exactly, and you you. It's a real like almost like an anti-climax. It also devolves into two really badly CGI'd characters sparring in the air, which is just really off-putting and feels really really plastic. You don't want to have that effect in an action sequence where. You just switch off, or you go, oh, this just doesn't fit the style, or this isn't exciting, this isn't something I'm engaging with anymore. But when it devolves into CGI nonsense, that's just what kind of happens. It's just stuff on screen, as as Mark Commode might put it. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think a lot of action films at the moment, their
1: reach exceeds their grasp in the sense of that they kind of think of these really great action sequences, and they get lazy in the sense of, oh, we'll just do that with CGI, we'll do that with green screen. And I don't know when that happened in action films, but it's just really, really disappointing.
0: Yeah. It's just kind of like they're just resting on their laurels a little bit. Some people think the audience expects it, and that's why they put it in there. I've heard that theory amongst uh, special effects people
1: before. And maybe the mainstream kind of blockbuster audience does want that, in a sense, that they want to see how these films can push kind of visual effects in a way. Mm. But to me, it's just, yeah, you kind of become really detached from the characters and the film, and whatever good story they've kind of built up or whatever they've done with the characters in terms of their arc, it's kind of wasted a little bit because you just watch this incoherent sterile action scene and you just become thoroughly bored
0: it's yeah without getting into a big cgi debate it is how you use it but it just in this case it just wasn't used very well and that's always it's just gonna be a downfall another example i have of like a missed opportunity right like later on six gets handcuffed to a bench by some local police and then mercenaries turn up to assassinate him standard action movie right stuff mercenaries coming after you right but that's a great jumping off point for a sequence. If, you, if your hero's handcuffed to a bench and someone's coming to kill him, how does he defend himself? How does he escape? How does he fight when he's compromised like that? This is just a really good like starting point. You can create a good action sequence from this, something that's exciting and engaging. But the sequence kind of seems more interested in blowing up cop cars and at around six and then several colour-coded teams of mercenaries you don't know
1: who they are yeah i don't know who
0: they are but they're fighting the police and the police are fighting them and it's just like well no hang on you've got this thing going on with the main character over here like he jumps behind the bench but then he just doesn't seem to be doing very much they of course do do something with that scene he does have moments where he's handcuffed to the bench he has to escape and there's some good moments in it but but mainly they're just chucking bombast at you they're chucking kabooms at you and 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 bangs and cool guns and th- th- they should just focus on that core concept why didn't they that's a missed opportunity
1: and the best moment in that action sequence is the look that Ryan Gosling gives, or sorry, the character of Six gives, when he can't get a gun. Because he's trying to get a gun to shoot himself free from the bench. Yeah. And at one point, I think the gun gets shot away, or he loses it, or something like that. And he just gives this like really tired, frustrated expression. And because Ryan Gosling's really good at that, he's a very good sort of non dialogue actor. Emoter. And a, a motor, yeah, a good emotor, exactly. And that's just a really good look. And but that's the strongest, you know. All the money, or like all, has gone to the the guns and the explosions and the cars, kind of falling off things or whatever but the best moment in that scene is kind of that subtle look that he gives
0: <laughs> but that's, I mean that again can really make a, an action scene or an action hero because you know it's that it's that charisma and that charm that keeps you with that character, keeps you rooting for that character, you, you know would we be rooting for Indiana Jones uh, in, in those various action sequences throughout the, the series if he wasn't such a, a fun and charming, exciting character to watch, you know it's Bond exactly the same right? I, I I do think you've got generally quite good hand-to-hand choreography in certain bits, like an Asian mercenary that gets introduced later has some good sequences. There's a good sequence where him and another character are wrapped up in rope trying to kind of garrote and strangle one another. And it's really well realised. That's the kind of thing I really enjoy because there's a kind of kineticism to it. And that's really fun to watch. Even Um,
1: though that's kind of slightly subdued by another action sequence happening at the same time. Yeah. So basically it kind of loses its momentum a little.
0: The final conflict though between uh, Evans and Gosling is just what you've been looking for. They're both really physical actors and it's exciting and it's appropriately climactic. But it just never really pushes the envelope. There's not really a sequence in here that I could say, you have to see that, you know, like I would in Extraction or The Raid or or even a John Wick film, right? I'm not even talking about like essentials of the genre sometimes you'll get something that's sort of passable as a film but there's only really like one great sequence in it you know I don't know like uh, the Kingsman films or something but, but The Grey Man doesn't even really have that it, it maybe gets close and certainly there's it, there's enough here to keep you entertained but there's nothing here that I'd say oh my god you've got to see The Grey Man because this is really cool moment where X X X. X, X uh, you know and, and that's a real shame We should probably talk
1: about Chris Evans a bit more because I'd love to talk about Chris Evans. He's the strongest presence in this film, really. I I, think so. I mean, his look is really good. He's obviously got that slightly stranger mustache, and he kind of wears these kind of slightly outlandish clothes. He seems very stylish compared to everyone else uh, around him. Uh, But yeah, he's a complete sociopath he he tortures for the fun of it he doesn't have any sort of empathy with anyone he no. he kills he he tortures people and he he takes great relish in in all those heinous
0: acts and but, i think chris evans is taking great relish in these serious acts because i think he's having a lot of fun playing this character and it shows maybe he's having a bit more fun than it than it is fun to actually watch him but it was it was still great um i generally i really like uh, Chris Evans like he's best known for playing the ultimate boy scout in Captain America and he's great at that but he can also be really funny or really sinister and he combines both in this character of Lloyd was a really fun watch and actually him and Gosling did work really well together they had a kind of chemistry
1: the only issue that I do have is that we have seen Chris Evans play this sort of role before I mean it's kind of that character from Knives Out but yeah, he is. sort of murders dozens of people except just one he's kind of still arrogant, snarky, like, alpha male. and But he's got a lot of charisma to that. So, again, it's, like, probably the strongest part of the film, but it's a character we've seen him play before, so, you know, go watch Knives Out if if you'd rather Chris Evans play that character, but in a much better
0: film. Yeah, I guess so. Sixes is is the grey man, because he's not really part of the CIA, and he's deniable, right? And he occupies a kind of grey space, I guess, morally or in terms of being a spy or a criminal what is he he's he's neither he's kind of in the gray area but then in the first action scene we establish he's very moral and he's very likable and consistently a white knight right there there's not really much question or conflict with the eponymous gray man again maybe it's not exactly referring to his to his moral standing but i mean it's just it, it's just kind of an example of like there wasn't anything really interesting going on there they also sort of chuck some philosophy at us a couple of times they reference Sisyphus and Schopenhauer but it's all just skin deep like these people are referencing these philosophers or their philosophies or these philosophical tales right but it doesn't really have anything to do with the things that's going on on screen it's just window dressing and it feels really cheap it feels like again a missed opportunity it just feels like that, that everything in this is just really, really skin deep, and it didn't have to be, right? No one's really struggling through anything, there's nothing much more to the plot than trying to survive the violence chucked at them. I mean, I, I guess it's fine, right? It's a, it's a genre piece, It's as a fan of the action genre, I mean, I'll admit that, you know, action films aren't always concerned with making something deeper, but the best examples of the genre the really great moments of action in films, and you should be aspiring to kind of reach towards that. Especially if you're the most expensive film ever made. Especially if you're the most expensive film ever made on Netflix, and also you're the directors, Anthony and Joe Russo, who have made good action films, in my opinion, before. You should be reaching for that. You know, John McClane in Die Hard has to become a better husband and a father by surviving a terrorist attack and killing terrorists. Luke Skywalker has to become a better space Buddhist slash wizard by fighting his dad and then realizing he shouldn't fight his dad you know um, again that like star wars not strictly speaking action film but the action moments in films that everyone remembers it's because you have something in the plot or the characters there's a conflict there that has to be resolved by real conflict um the gray man doesn't really have any of that it, it, it's just pretty skin deep you know the film is an entertaining couple of hours. I really enjoyed watching Gosling and and, and Evans. And don't get me wrong, like nev- I just don't,
1: I want to cut in there. I don't want to sound too snobby, but okay, this is going to sound really snobby. <laughs> Isn't that just like a, a like a get out of jail card if you just call it entertainment? I just I <sighs> yes, it is. Yeah, I mean it, it is a bit. I I know what you're saying.
0: I'll try and qualify that. I mean, I
1: I, I get that there's there's entertaining aspects to it, like Chris Evans, like we've talked about. But I just, to say the whole film is entertaining when it's not, it just kind of makes it feel like, oh well, you know, I have kind of haven't really yet to think about it.
0: Good for me. I, I just... <laughs> and I do hate that. I do really fucking hate that. when people, Because you, you're starting to lean towards then an argument of like, oh, it's just a bit of fun, it's just entertaining. You stick it on and then you sit on your phone and then it's like, no, I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't care about films in this way to think that anything needs to be just like, flashing colours in the background with explosions and occasional quips it should never be that way but it was entertaining so something about it worked right I mean I I feel like I've really slagged it off in this podcast right but actually a lot of the stuff does work I think there is charisma I think there is some moments of like exciting action it never irritated me it never bored me uh, it never like insulted me. It even uh, actually manages to uh, to avoid making Ana de Armas, like, fight with her legs or wear skimpy outfits and makes her like an equal to the other characters, which is pretty good going for, for an action movie. But it's kind of just shallow and forgettable, and I think with all the stuff they're throwing at it, I just can't believe they couldn't make a real action classic. That's what I was really hoping for, for this money. <laughs> You're right. I would never say it, it's entertaining, full stop. I'd say that I was entertained, but the thing you should be taking away from this is that it's it's not going to give you any protein. It's not going to give you even a, a semblance of what other action films that I really love, really champion, even ones that are probably a bit more flawed than this are. I feel like at least they're trying to attempt something more stylized and interesting. Yeah, uh, I just think there are a million more action pieces out there that are much more worth your time, that cost a hell of a lot less.
1: Yeah, I kind of feel it's no context violence, the movie. I just think any sort of action sequence or violence should be defined or should be justified, and I think it As I said earlier in the podcast, it just does feel like a film that's been built around the action scenes. And you just need plot, you need the story and the characters to work. And then also you need to make the action sequences diverse and interesting. And okay, yeah, we do go to slightly different locations. There are uh, bits in each um, action sequence that are slightly different. But it still just feels like a little bit too safe. Mm. And again, too many visual effects that don't really make you feel inspired about what they've done, really. Yeah, I'm kind of with you, and I just think that's such a shame and a waste of talent. But, you know, Chris Evans is, is really strong in this. And I feel like he probably has some of the, the best lines of dialogue. In, in fact, actually, I think the dialogue itself is probably the strongest part of it. So it feels like within the, the, the script writing, they did come up with some really, really good lines and ones that did translate from script to screen. But it's just a shame that I never really feel that about the the non-dialogue, the the action, or the or the or the big set pieces, really. Yeah. And yeah, overall, just a pretty disappointing watch. I mean, there's a scene in the film when Lloyd is being hired by his superior, uh, Carmichael. Um, he basically the Carmichael says to him, "You've got an open checkbook, any means necessary." And I feel like Carmichael in that scene is Netflix. And the Russo brothers are Lloyd, <laughs> and they're just being given like as much responsibility. Like, just go and make this film. Just like go and you know go, go and do what you want of it. But you know we want we want this from it. And ultimately, yeah, I mean, well, Lloyd isn't successful in his mission, and, and neither were the Russos. I'm about to put a hit so big on your boy's head
0: that even his most loyal allies won't hesitate to drop a dime. Every grade A wet team from here to region for the prestige of killing the infamous Sierra Six. I can kill anybody. Maybe not anybody. So, if you like this, you should watch Mission Impossible Fallout from 2018. If you're looking for a frill, a star-studded AAA action spectacular, then the real pedigree is Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible series, which in recent years, he's turned into a vehicle to indulge his adrenaline addiction slash James Bond fantasy and make some cracking cinema while doing it. In Fallout, super spy Ethan Hunt, played by Cruz, is still hunting what's left of an anarchist terrorist group he defeated in a previous adventure. When some plutonium gets lost to the group, he's forced to team up with ruthless CIA agent August Walker, played by Henry Cavill, whose methods and motivations may push Hunt further to the edge than ever before. You
1: don't understand what you're involved in.
0: You need to walk away. Please don't make me go through you. How many times has Hunt's government betrayed him? disavowed him cast him aside how long before a man like that has had enough so watching this in the cinema in 2018 I was literally on the edge of my seat which I acknowledge is ridiculous I'm old enough and ugly enough to know what's going to happen. But it shows you how effective the Mission Impossible films have become in creating really thrilling cinema. And that's exactly what The Grey Man wanted to do too, uh, whether it did or not will depend on the viewer. In Fallout there's lots of highlights like a tense parachute jump gone wrong, a blistering brutal fight in a bathroom and of course a palm sweating finale with Hunt gripping onto a rope suspended from a helicopter and oh god I just can't watch it. It's, it just aggravates me and anxieties me up every single time. That is the amazing thing about Fallout and some of its installments. It looks so good because often they're doing this stuff for real and it really pays off. Sequences are jaw dropping and exciting, full of brilliantly framed tense, heart-stopping moments. Like Grey Man, there's plenty of watchable, likeable people. Cruz is a great action hero. Ditto to Cavill and his magnificent shoulders. Series regulars, Simon Pegg and Ving Rhames, are always fun to see, and Rebecca Ferguson is striking and believable as Hunt's only equal in daring and high-octane spice stuff, and also a quasi-love interest. Oh, and scary Sean Harris is always great as well it's good to see him in the film there's something in in fallout about moral lines we do and don't cross which is good but maybe feels superfluous but at least it's there and a half decent theme unlike the gray man if you're looking for the uninhibited old school thrill of being on the edge of your seat like i was in that cinema four years ago fallout is the zenith of a series and a creator who's keeping that glorious tradition of big budget big screen stunt action cinema alive and for that tom cruise I salute you
1: yeah I salute Tom Cruise as well I think because he's so determined that all the action sequences are done for as real as possible yeah now in the Mission Impossible films that isn't going to happen because (laughs) yeah you know some of them are ludicrous and they involve him you know jumping off
0: tall buildings, or him in, in helicopters, or, or whatever it is. It's funny you say that, because he often does actually jump off a tall building, and often does actually fly the helicopters that he's in. It's amazing how much that stuff he does for real, but I, I know what you mean, it is a fantasy
1: still. And to his own detriment in some ways, because obviously during uh, Mitchell's Fallout, he broke his ankle. He did. jumping <laughs> off a building. That's how dedicated he is. But that's the sense, it's that sort of philosophy when they're making the film of trying to get it as good on screen as it possibly can be and not being like oh we'll just do this in the edit or oh we'll just do this kind of cgi or green screen it's that commitment to the audience and i think that's just so refreshing
0: to see mm. but what's different about what we took what you talked about earlier when you were, you talked about that phrase entertaining what's different about that than what we're talking about with Mission Impossible, because obviously we're talking about the frills of Mission Impossible, but when you know, and the series particularly Fallout. But yeah, I mean, aren't they just sort of building a film around an action scene, around a concept of putting something really exciting and thrilling and palm sweating on screen? Is 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 that not just doing something for? just to be entertaining.
1: Yeah, I think you can definitely level that at the Mission Impossible films. I do think the stories are like a little bit better than stuff that we see in, in The Grey Man and other sort of action films. But actually, what I would say for the Mission Impossible films is that because we've, we're used to these characters and we've seen these characters before, we care about them. So obviously, yeah, right. most of the cast from Fallout we've seen in previous Mission Impossible films. So we've built relationships with them. And I think that's key. But people might not disagree with me on that because maybe there are a few of those characters that... just kind of paid lip service but the fact that we have got someone like sean harris who played the villain in the previous mission possible film rogue nation the fact that we've got him back that you know there's momentum there and there's an understanding you know we don't have to rush to include new characters like we do with the gray man i mean obviously mission possible is a sequel gray man is, is a new film but there's just never care and attention done to those characters and I think that's why it's sort of good and genuine entertainment because the characters are good and therefore we want to see them succeed. That's a good way to make an expensive film, really. The characters are relatable. They're ones that we've seen. So yeah. in that sense, I think that's probably why it works.
0: I, I I mean, I, I think it is probably possible to make an action film with sequences that are so good that they do create a package that feels complete. Sometimes you can see something where it it doesn't feel like the action sequences are good, but the film is just whatever. Sometimes I think you can create something where the experience of seeing something like that on screen is worth the price of admission. Like a great musical, or a great war epic, or something like that. Sometimes you can create something where where there's a visual element to it that's so incredible. I think it's possible for it to not always have the same rules applied to it but yeah generally i i think i agree with you that there's other things that the mission impossible films do that actually make you care about what's happening on screen in terms of the action as well (laughs) it's an ongoing thing about action films that maybe will be a will be a debate that can be shelved for now we could pick up another time what the hell is he doing i find it best not to look
1: If you didn't like this, then watch Ronin from 1998. An international group of five ex-government mercenaries meet up in Paris and are hired to steal a case. None have met, but are vaguely aware of each other's work. Their attempt initially fails, but after a chase sequence leading to Nice, one of the groups steals the case and tries to sell it to the Russians. It is up to the rest of the Fractured group to refine the case and complete the mission. All good things come to those who wait target is underway. We've gotten the word. We're moving. Come on, let's go. You don't want to go in there. Get out of here. Walk away. Walk away. Let's go. How did you know it was an ambush? That's the first thing they teach you. Who oh, don't you? I don't remember. That's the second thing they teach
0: you. We've made a good plan and we're going to stick with it.
1: What's this girl work
0: for? It. Are you afraid?
1: Of course I'm afraid. You think I'm reluctant because I'm happy? So, running is a slight change of genre with it being an old-school 90s thriller opposed to an action blockbuster like The Great Man. In that clip, you might have heard Robert De Niro, clearly the biggest star in the film, who plays Sam, one of the American mercenaries, who isn't what he says he is, but that is like most of the players in this piece. A main difference is the speed and style of action, with there being no use of CGI and less hand-to-hand combat. There's more of a functionality to Ronin's action, with the car chase sequences being pragmatic and the characters not chiseled, muscular ubermen. Ronin's spies and operatives are part of the post Cold War era, confused, duplicitous, and who were trained in the art of information sharing rather than violence. The government backed assassins of the Grey Man are that of the 9 11 era torturers, corrupt technocrats who don't play by the established rules, a kill or be killed mentality. Am I making Ronin sound fucking boring? <laughs> Yes, I am. That's because it has depth and context to the action. Maverick director John Frankenheimer shot all the gunfights in real time because he felt that was the most realistic way to shoot on-screen violence. There's a reason each sequence takes place. It never feels forced or abrupt, like in The Great Man. As you get to know the characters, the story becomes more absorbing and there's a heightened sense of excitement to the big set pieces because of it. I obviously don't think it's mundane. The world of the film is defined by the meaning of its title. Ronin means drifter or wanderer, a samurai without lord or master. This establishes the idea of these lost souls travelling around Europe, unaffiliated to either the west or the east as they once were. There's a coolness to Ronin that The Grey Man never achieves. While the script for The Grey Man does deliver some funny one-liners, De Niro and the rest of the cast revel in the terse and blunt dialogue that matches the nature of the story. Essentially, Ronin is a film where the action is built around the narrative. The Grey Man is light and fun for the most part, but it's undercooked in so many ways. It might be too dry for a modern Netflix audience who want instant gratification, but Ronin is a film that is a staple of the thriller genre, whose sophisticated action scenes will stand the test of time.
0: Yeah, long-time listeners of this podcast may remember that Sam has talked about Ronin in a previous segment many, many episodes ago, kind of caught it again on a bit of a rewatch. I think probably during lockdown and really wanted to talk about it and it was and and then I watched it afterwards i don't think i love it as much as you do i don't think the action sequences have much personality to them really but what I like about it is it's one of these... Do you mean personality? or Because I get the sense
1: that they're very like pragmatic and realistic.
0: And I think that's good. I yeah. Think that's, I think that's
1: really good to and see. And that
0: is a personality, right? I mean, that is a personality to an action scene if they are pragmatic. So yeah, maybe personality is the wrong word. Maybe I just didn't really get much thrill from them or something. But I agree that's the point. I mean, I think I would put Ronin in this bracket of of 90s films that were kind of the last of the cold war espionage genre you know there were some films still trying to even though the cold war was over still making films in the style of a cold war thriller or updating the cold war thriller and turning it into something else and that's what Ronin was was continuing to do as well. It's a great watch if you love that period of cinema and that kind of thriller. And and it also kind of is, is kind of a mixture of an espionage film and a heist film as well, which is kind of a, a, a weird, interesting hybrid.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, there is sort of element of a of, of a heist film in it, which kind of makes it, it's a nice kind of package in that sense, in that you kind of get a bit of a an amalgamation of those both two genres. But yeah, I try to champion it as much as possible because, as you say, they, it is a bit of a relic. We it don't is. really see films like that these days. And the fact that you've got the star power of Robert De Niro, you know, someone who's kind of established, and he's coming to do this frillet, this it just... You know, it just, it just feels so unique in a way. No, mm. I've used unique the word that we try not to use on this podcast. <laughs> but, I've done it. but I want to do it for I want to do it for writing because I do believe that it is uh, it is unique.
0: Is here. that a rule? Are we are we trying not to? Yeah, use the Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I came up with it a couple of podcasts ago. Okay, I'll,
0: I'll I'll remember that. It's one of these films that's a bit lost to time because, and and I think it's like that with a lot of those espionage thrillers. Because, I mean, the, the star power of some of the people in them has definitely dwindled. Uh, and the the kind of thriller they're making, you just don't really see anymore. And after 9-11, it, it's not the kind of thing that studios make or people necessarily want to see. But I think that does make it more interesting. I, I think it's really ripe for a rewatch. I think if anyone does have access to it, it was on Netflix for a long time. I don't know if it's still on there. It's the on uh, Amazon Prime. Oh, it's but on actually, Amazon Prime. actually,
1: when you say about, oh, it's, it's kind of been lost to time, The Grey Man will never be lost to time. Like, no one in 25 years is going to be going back and thinking, wouldn't it be great to see oh, a film like The Grey Man, where there's loads of explosions and, you know, the CGI looks out of date <laughs> in five years. And, you know, we've got these archetypes that we've seen in so many action films. Oh, yeah. Or get confused with the Grey Man with whatever like Netflix action thing was going to come next year or whatever it is. You could watch Ronin like a few times and pick up different things from it, and mm. you know understand or think about like, the way the characters like move and think about the motivations behind the characters. Yeah, there are just always going to be things in it that you can go back and notice. But I just would never do that with the Grey Man. I just feel like whatever we've got out of it. It's from that, that first time. I just don't think you will ever warrant a rewatch.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a different thing with Ronin. When you talked about it before, you talked about the way that some of the protagonists and the antagonists might recognise each other and say, like, oh, I saw you in that job, or, oh, I remember you from Budapest, and this this kind of thing. A sense that they've all been on, like, different sides in the Cold War and still have a relationship and stuff.
1: Exactly, and you just will not see that nuance in The Great man. man.
0: When I rewatched Ronin, I noticed a kind of, a, a bit of, like, really good tradecraft where robert de niro manages to out sean bean as an amateur because he intimidates him questioning him about his background what sean bean doesn't notice is that robert de niro has precariously placed a coffee cup like near him and then he spills it and he's like you're not a professional if you can't even (laughs) notice a fucking cup of coffee over there stuff little moments like that of proper Spycraft, tradecraft—that's what makes a film like Ronin.
1: See, give me a scene like that any other day than an airplane crashing, <laughs> <with someone> escaping <laughs> from it. We've
0: got shooters here.
1: Shooters here. I'll tell you an old trick. Hey, two shooters. Car comes through here. Shooters across from each other. Kill each other dead. Oh my! Where'd you learn that? Huh? In a regiment. What Oops. regiment was that? The 22nd Special Air Service. What's the color of the boathouse in Hereford? What's the color of the boathouse at Hereford? I don't like your attitude. What's the color of the boathouse? Oh, fuck, oh, fuck you. off! Oh, you got the gun. I'm on arm. Do something. Go ahead. Do something. Do something. Do something. Ah. Tell me about an ambush. Tell me about an ambush. I ambushed you a cup of coffee. <laughs> You'll get your money when we get the kiss. The others too.
0: That is what I understood. Come on, we've gotten the word. We're moving. Oh, the grey man. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about actually enough, I feel? Especially given we just talked about Mission Possible Fallout. Mustaches. Yeah, Mission Possible Fallout has Henry Cavill with a very noticeable mustache. A very famous mustache. Now Chris Evans is got a mustache as well. I remember actually as well, Clive Owen in uh, another action movie where he was the antagonist, also bringing back, like, a a kind of just a single moustache as well. So, I don't know. Is that a thing that's going to come back as well? Like, moustaches? I mean, you've talked
1: about them both there, Henry Cavill and Chris Evans, and they're both very evil. Should it be the villains in films bring the style back. Are we, you know, are we just gonna become like an even more backward society if we (laughs) let the on screen antagonists dictate what the the call is and what the, you know, the culture should be?
0: Nah, I guess so. Yeah, but it sounds a bit reductive and and possibly gonna you know, as a as a proud owner of, of facial hair, I don't wanna increase like the oppression of people with facial hair. Maybe this is something you can do if you ever make an action movie, which is something I'd quite like to see. I'd quite like to see them give you two hundred million dollars because generally we've always been a bit at odds about the love or not as much love for the action genre. So I'd quite like to give you two hundred million dollars to make a film in a genre that you really don't want to want to make.
1: I'd take that two hundred million dollars and I'd just re-release Ronin (laughs) all (laughs) around the world, all around the world, in every that's cheating. That's cheating. You can't do that. I will get Ronin into every country in the world so people can see it. And then people will finally understand it's genius.
0: Mm. And maybe you'll bring back the espionage genre as well. Yeah,
1: hopefully. What would you do with 200 million if you if Netflix
0: said, go on, carte blanche, make whatever you want. Carte blanche, make whatever you want. Um, well, I'd like to make an action movie version of this podcast, where maybe like me and you are on opposite sides of like championing a film or something and we have to blow up a lot of stuff to try and maybe I'd make the I'd make a film about you trying to get Ronan into cinemas and I'm the villain and I've got to stop you getting Ronan into cinemas and I've got to get the Grey Man 2 into cinemas instead. And then we have to like blow up stuff to try and stop the other one getting their preferred film into the into into the cinemas. Well as
1: long as you dress me like Chris Evans in the Grey Man, that's <laughs> fine by me. <laughs> he did have a fabulous
0: polo neck, didn't he? Thank you so much for listening to Films Are Better Than People. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now so you never miss an episode. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts and SoundCloud. And don't forget to come follow us on Twitter at Films Are Better and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Films Are Better.